Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Welcome to the Market Watch podcast by Amplify Live, where you can access the latest market insights with me, Anthony Chung, the head of market analysis, and joined by our head of trading, Piers Curran, getting you up to speed on what mattered in markets this week. Okay, very good morning, and welcome to episode three of the Market Watch by Amplify Live. And first things first, Gong Hai Fat Choi, Piers. Happy New Year. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for that literal translation. Um, right. Well, my fluent, uh, well, Cantonese, I believe that was, right? Not, that, not that, Mandarin. Yeah. That is um, my uh, ethnicity to a 50% degree, I would say. And I'm going to yeah. incorporate that into today's podcast because we're going to talk a little bit about Ireland and Brexit. As that's well your as, other half. And that's the other half right there. So it's the, uh, it's the year of the ox. Year of the ox. Yeah. yeah. So apparently those, those who, who are born in, in the year of the ox, strong, reliable, fair, conscientious, inspiring, confident in others. So I'm, I'm assuming you're not an ox. Well, it's funny you should say that because I am actually not an ox. I'm a pig. <laughs> <laughs> okay. What are your attributes? Um, I just, just happy go lucky. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm, uh, guess what? Come on, I am? Hit me, hit me. I'm a snake. Uh, ooh. Uh, and according, it's, it's better than it sounds. According to Google, at least, I'm, I'm nonchalant, but, <laughs> but actually enthusiastic. Not quite okay. sure how that works. Covering your works. bets here. But then wait for it. I'm romantic, decent. And, and sophisticated and also eloquent. So, so how is that a I'm snake? Taking that. I, well, <laughs> but I'm not, I'm not arguing. <laughs> well, you know, Valentine's Day is coming up. The snake will be at work, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, moving on. <laughs> so, you know, one of the things I just quickly wanted to mention before we go into what we're going to cover the next 20 minutes or so was we officially launched a podcast this week, really. 
and we made it to number seven in yes. the Apple Podcast Investing chart. So huge thank you to to everyone who's followed so far. You know the people who who are following, subscribing, rating, reviewing. I'm you know everyone has helped. So um, yeah. Great stuff, and uh, I'm glad you've enjoyed it so far, and hopefully we can continue to bring value going forward. But look, three things, Piers, I want to talk about um, today, yeah. which is uh, arguably probably the, the biggest headline story uh, a bit earlier in the week in what otherwise has been a relatively quiet week for broader markets, uh, and that's Tesla and Bitcoin. Uh, so definitely want to get your take on that yeah. um, and, and, and some concepts, I think, warrant discussion there. The other thing then is about super cycles. Really great article in the FT this week. Uh, commodity prices have been rampant really recently, and I want to get your opinion on that. And then I did want to talk about Brexit, kind of the <laughs> forgotten issue. Yeah, um, It has come back to the forefront because of some renewed tension over Northern Ireland. And I think we can have a, we can touch upon that as well. So kicking things off then, let me just Paint the picture, get everyone up to speed. Elon Musk, Tesla gave Bitcoin effectively its most significant corporate endorsement to date by investing $1.5 billion of its reserves into cryptocurrency. And they also said that it would soon start accepting payment in Bitcoin in a limited way. Uh, so a couple of things here. For one, uh, Elon Musk has been a real proponent of vocally supporting crypto for some time. Um, and Bitcoin in itself, since the announcement, has gone up as much as 25%. So obviously very significant in many different ways. But the one I wanted to question you about was beyond Tesla and Elon Musk. Is yeah. there a bigger story here? And a lot of people talking about corporate treasury management. So what are they talking about and what does this mean? Yeah, I mean, there's so many different angles to look at this story, um, Tesla Bitcoin story. I mean, but thinking about that corporate treasury side, look, there's big, some of these big multinational uh, companies, particularly on the, the tech side, for example, and, and Apple would be top of the list, are, are carrying monster cash piles. Okay, so Apple have thought to have got about $200 billion just, just tucked away. And this is cash that is, the important thing about this is it's cash that's not earmarked for working capital to, to run the business, you know, now or in the next six months or the next 12 months, right? It's, it's currently cash that's surplus to requirements, all right? So it's like, what do you do with this? And, and historically, you know, the, the, the strategy has been, well, let's, let's not just have it in cash. Let's see if we can kind of generate any kind of upside return on that cash. However, the key thing is, is that you don't want to take too much risk, obviously. And so, and you want to be investing in super liquid assets because you never know what's around the corner as a business, COVID-19 being a beautiful example and so it's like, you never know when you actually might need to draw down on this stuff. So we don't want to be reckless with this. And so typically you're going to find like Apple, um, you know, about 50% of their cash piles invested in treasuries, for example. Um, however, so treasuries, right? Great, super safe, uh, highly liquid. But the big problem is that we're in a zero interest rate environment. And so these 
super safe, super liquid um, assets are yielding virtually nothing. And so it's just how much risk do treasury departments want to take to, to actually go and find some meaningful yield from that surplus cash. Um, Apple has, have gone as far as, I think 48% of their 200 billion now is investing in corporate debt. Okay, so they stepped out outside of that kind of government debt um, scenario and, and taken the risk up as a result of that, and they're investing in mm. corporate debt. Okay, but look, that, so in the norm, you're looking at uh, increasing the risk of a small order of magnitude by going from corporate, sorry, government to corporate debt. Now, this Tesla move, I mean, if, if, you, if you say that that, if you say going from government to corporate, let's say that's one step, okay? Tesla have just taken a leap that's about 50 miles long um, in terms of a strategy to try and, well, I don't know what their strategy is, and that's maybe the problem, but the strategy to try and generate more income from cash reserves, if, if that's what they're trying to do. I mean, I think that there's way more to it. And, and I would say it's Musk possibly trying to add another sort of um, element to their quarterly reporting that can mask what's actually going on in terms of are they actually making any profit from making cars? And um, there's another thing up till now, there's another thing on their sort of regular quarterly accounting where they sell um, these emission credits to other um, to other car manufacturers, right? And it's thought that um, last year, that in 2020, they received up to $1.6 billion in regulatory credits, which they, they can then sell, okay? So they reported a profit in 2020, Tesla. They made a profit of $721 million, except 1.6 billion of that profit is from these regulatory credits, which means they made a loss in terms of actually making cars, right? Mm. Now, with this Bitcoin thing, the, on the accounting side, again, it's a bit strange. And, and so what they're going to do is they're going to be marking to market any losses, right? So if Bitcoin drops in value, then they're obviously going to take a loss on this investment and they will mark that to market. So in any quarter where Bitcoin's gone down, they will add that to their bottom line as a loss. Now, on the upside, though, they will not be marking to market profit and profit will only be reported in their quarterly earnings if they sell the Bitcoin and realize that profit. So, again, do, does Bitcoin go up or down? And who, who knows, right? And you can get some absolutely violent movement. And so, again, it's going to further confuse and cloud that bottom line when they're reporting. And it might be that Musk wants that. Uh, maybe that's his strategy to kind of further cover up um, mm. the fact that actually they can't make cars for a profit at this point. Um, but that's just speculation. I don't know. The other angle on, on Bitcoin and, and Musk is, well, no, just on Bitcoin. It's, it's on the kind of ESG sort of front. So ESG, environmental, social, and governance. This is the kind of one of the big driving forces behind investment strategies in this day and age. And obviously, Tesla build electric vehicles. Great, massive tick for this sort of the environmental part of that ESG. Mm. Um, but unfortunately, Bitcoin it takes huge amounts of energy to, to mine Bitcoin. I was just studying up on some stats and I was shocked. So Bitcoin accounts for 0.56% of global electricity usage. Oh, wow. And that is equivalent to the whole of Sri Lanka. 
Now that's that kind of blew my mind a little bit. And so that tarnishes their ESG sort of angle. And then everyone forgets about the G in ESG. The G is governance. And so that that's companies that are being, you know, well run and <laughs> do things by the book. And right. I don't think you can put Musk in that category. And here we go again. You know, he's been in trouble with the regulators, of course, in the past, and he, he may well get into trouble again just for this. So on that governance side, uh, again, there's, there's a, a larger question mark that's put. But even that in itself, is that the, the method in the madness? I mean, by remaining permanently relevant in a Trump-esque style has seen Tesla move away from traditional fundamentals and just become this thing that's on everyone's radar, particularly popular in the retail space, of course, and, and, and platforms like Twitter, which Musk is particularly active on. Yeah. Um, yeah. Who knows? Who knows how much, ego, if it's ego driven, I, I can't really comment. I don't really, obviously I don't know Musk, but obviously he hit the, the top of the rich list yeah. in 2020. And uh, does that matter to him? Maybe it does. And maybe that's the kind of thing he wants to keep keep himself front page news, keep that share price pumped, um, get so, the so just pin, guys in. Pinning you down then, you said the analogy of um, going from sovereign to corporate is a one step and he's taken a massive leap. Yeah. So, so are people right to be kind of, oh, this is surefire sign then. Apple going to follow, every other big company with surplus are going to follow. This is all because we we spoke to Hani Redder, who's a portfolio manager um, for a big institution, manages a lot of money. He was saying not one client that he deals with is interested in crypto right now, at least. He was very um, positive, supportive of the underlying technology, but not of Bitcoin. Yeah. So timings wise, is this a is this a inevitable? switch into this type of way or um, is the market just a little bit early in its assumptions a little bit with this look i think because it's tesla because it's musk it gets front page news right i think that this is a tiny little sort of mark um, along the very long path of Bitcoin going from, you know, startup brand new cryptocurrency thing to becoming an actual currency. And that path, I mean, it's hard to predict how long it is, but we're nowhere near the end of that path. And this is not now the tipping point where, you know, you're going to see a raft of other companies come through and actually start to allocate some of their cash reserves to crypto. Yes, you've had the MasterCards going, oh, yes, we're going we're gonna to kind of facilitate crypto payments and Bitcoin payments. And, you know, they've jumped on this bandwagon, but they're not, they're not actually doing it. They're just saying that, yeah, we're open to doing it. That's it. So they grab a little bit of headlines, which is great for their PR, but then we move on. This, this is not the tipping point in any way. No. Is my answer. To that. That's it. I like that. I like that definitive <laughs> snake response there. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, look, let's let's move it on and let's talk about SuperCycle. So, the reason why I brought this up, I mentioned as that FT article, and they were they were basing a lot of this on the back of a new report out of Goldman Sachs recently, and they say, I quote, 
it's easy and largely accurate to present the 2021 commodity outlook as a V-shaped vaccine trade. What we think, i.e. Goldman's, is key, however, is that the recovery in commodity prices will actually be the beginning of a much longer structural bull market for commodities. Now, for context, soybean prices are up more than 50% over the past year. Copper has risen around 40%. Oil has been on a bit of a tear recently, rebounded to its highest level since the early days of the coronavirus. Um, and if you were looking on a broader perspective in commodities, a basket of 27 commodity futures ranging from softs in coffee to base metals in nickel, they've all had positive returns over the next six months to mid-January. So I can understand why people are getting interested, excited, so on. But a super cycle, first of all, what is a super cycle before we even lead to is, does this constitute what we're seeing now, the commencement of a super cycle? What's yeah, I mean, take well, on? firstly, a super cycle is um, a multi, multi, multi-year, if not um, decade plus of um, bull commodity markets. So that's where commodity prices, you know, across the spectrum get driven higher consistently for, for a period that's longer than an economic cycle, right? So it sits over and above and is elongated and longer than an economic cycle. And you just get up and up and up and up. Um, they happen um, every sort of 40 to 50 years kind of timing. I mean, the last one was driven, it's normally, it requires the emergence of a giant economy. That Historically, that's what's been the case. So you've had the Industrial Revolution, for example, you had the emergence of Japan after the Second World War, and then it's China, right? So the Chinese, the, the emergence of the China economy um, in the 90s and into the noughties was the last super cycle. Um, and that's where China stepped up and became, you know, comfortably the largest consumer of commodities on the planet. Where, when you go back into the 80s and the 70s, when they weren't, they, they, their economy just wasn't of that size yet. And so that's what a super cycle is. So, so you're um, talking about breaking the pattern then, because surely we're just out of a super cycle. Well, well hang on. I'm not talking about it. Goldman's, <laughs> Goldman's are talking about it. Um, it. <laughs> I think, look, you mentioned those three commodities and I... I actually think, look, they've all gone up. So you met, and I want to talk about each one briefly in turn. So yeah. soybeans, copper, and oil, they've all gone up. But I think that's the perfect three to choose because they've all actually gone up for different reasons. And then it's about, are they still going to go up in the future? And the answer is not all of them. So I, I don't think we're at a super cycle. But look, soybeans are up. I mean, all right, firstly, okay, coming out of COVID, fine. I get that demand across the spectrum pretty much rises, right? That that's fine. But actually, soybean prices have been sharply higher because of a um, a drought, or sorry, a dry weather. Well, yeah, drought in South Africa, which has killed their crop, and so that we've had real supply issues, not just COVID supply issues, of course, where you've generally had global trade. Uh, reduced because of the virus, but on top of that, you've had a poor crop in South Africa. Um, now with with I'll, I'll go to oil next. Oil is so. Well, hang on. So soybeans is that price rise going to continue? Well, well, sure. Yeah, it'll continue post COVID. So I think 2021 can continue to see soybean prices increase. Will they be increasing in 2022? I don't know yet. I'm not quite sure. I don't. Um, it depends on 
the emergence of the global economic system from COVID and how effective and how effective the global vaccine rollout is and so on. But I don't see us at the start of a super cycle necessarily. Um, then talking about oil, well, again, obviously emerging from COVID and economic recovery leads to the demand in oil increasing, fine, drives prices higher. On top of that, you've had the Saudis cutting production. Now, the other element to add to the oil equation is the fact that actually for the last, if you look back over the last sort of five years, oil prices have been relatively very low. And this has led to a lack of investment by energy companies in, you know, source, you know, finding new sources of oil, you know, and then actually trying to set up these, these kind of drills to extract it. So, I think there is a chronic lack of investment, and I think that will actually result in the price of oil, you know, remaining on the front foot. So you've got almost the perfect storm at the moment. You've got economic positivity if we emerge from COVID driving demand higher. You've got supply still low because of the Saudis cutting production. And then you've got this longer term issue of a lack of investment. So I think oil actually can stay positive for a number of years. And, and then that leaves me with copper. And that's a bit more interesting because I think that copper trade, I do think copper is at the start of a super cycle, uh, along with nickel and cobalt, for example. And that, that's these green energy commodities, if you like. You know, you, you can't have anything electrical without copper, right? And so we are up now that right at the, the beginning point of the big push in, in renewable energy, um, you know, Biden's in office, you've got you know, uh, you know, people trying to gear their fiscal stimulus, their COVID fiscal stimulus towards green energy, like the Europeans, for example. And so I think if there's any super cycle, it's probably in the commodities that are linked to this green energy movement. Okay, well, look, let's, let's, with the sake of time, let's move it over to Brexit, because I definitely yep. want to get you a, a quick word on that as well. And then just reacting to some of the feedback we've had from the last episode, I'm going to just quickly wrap up uh, with what's coming out next week and what can we expect from next week. So with Brexit, then the latest thing, it's kind of front page in some of the, the domestic press, it's talking about renewed issues in Northern Ireland, uh, the UK and the EU, they've been talking officials uh, just yesterday and they're locked in a standoff now over how to implement the Brexit deal in Northern Ireland. Now, just to recap, the part of the UK's exit deal covering Northern Ireland effectively kept the region in the UK's customs union and single market and imposed checks on goods moving across the Irish Sea from Great Britain. But one of the things I was kind of saying to you before, Pierce, was that Northern Ireland was probably the first issue that came up at the very beginning yep. after the EU referendum. And it was the recurring thorn in negotiations that was there all the way to the end. And something that I've never really quite understood was, did they actually really solve this issue? It felt almost like a grace period to kick the can down the road. It will figure itself out. Let's just get this job done. And definitely COVID, oh, right, we definitely we need to get a deal done now. Now, this is happening and, and it came to my uh, mind before these latest kind of frictions, because I have, uh, I have family in Northern Ireland. My in-laws live in Northern Ireland. I go there fairly frequently in non-COVID times. And they were saying to me weeks ago that actually since, since Brexit, um, 
in the initial March COVID developments in 2020, when in the UK, you remember that when people were ransacking the supermarkets, it was a crazy time. If you remember, people were thinking, right, button down the hatches, get your baked beans in. Get your toilet roll in. Get your toilet rolls in. But that, that didn't really occur, is what they were saying um, back then in, in Northern Ireland. Uh, I guess it's a very, you know, it's a pretty small place. Um, but what's happened now is through no choice of their own, in fact, actually voting quite the opposite in, the, in regards to the referendum, what they find themselves in now is a, is a supply issue where the distribution of goods because of issues on border checks is creating um, a delay but also a re-emergence of the kind of glimmer of underlying sectarian divides that's obviously plagued the history of Northern Ireland as well has emerged uh, um, as well this week. And that's led to then port closures to protect staff. Um, no one really talks about this. Um, I always feel like Northern Ireland, if it wasn't for my connection, I probably wouldn't even be talking about it because it's just not a thing here in the UK that I guess is really we're conscious about. Yeah. How important is this latest development? And is it not so much about Northern Ireland, but one thing I'm kind of thinking myself is there's, there's COVID-19 and vaccinations still to be done here to ensure most importantly, the, the economic state of the next couple of months. And if they can't, if, they, if Northern Ireland creates renewed friction between the EU and the UK, not, yes, Northern Ireland's an issue, but does this reverberate and actually become a slightly deeper issue in your I mind or not? Well, I think it's a really serious issue. I mean, firstly, you're absolutely right. It was swept under the carpet. You know, I think the, you know, the English government left <laughs> Let's say, you know, it's like of, of the 100% of the Brexit thing, maybe in their mind, like 5% of it is Northern Ireland, 10% of it is Northern Ireland. So, you know what, we're, we're on the cusp of getting 90% of this done. So look, let's just, let's just get it done. Um, and so it's very much left, I think, unresolved. And now, now we're the other side of Brexit. Clearly, these unresolved issues are now coming to the fore and it's actually impacting people on the ground and certainly supply issues with, you know, supermarket shelves being empty. That's, that's one big problem. But when you start talking about sectarian tensions rising, I mean, this is, this is where it becomes a whole different ball game in terms of an issue that, that if not, if not dealt with, you know, sooner rather than later can set the trajectory that could take us to places we we don't you know we definitely don't want to go to. So it's a big issue, and I think obviously the it kind of sparked off the the vaccine kind of argument between the EU and the UK, and the, and the EU Commission handled it spectacularly badly, and so it kind of fractured the relationship a little bit. And of course, there's obviously issues on, on our side, and and that Northern Irish businesses are. Are uh, finding you know real problems with with supply and and I think that they've been behind. I think Gove has been over there talking. I think they've been on, uh, kind of talking behind the scenes for the last couple of weeks, really, ever since that vaccine blow up when the European Commission made that gaffe. And I think, look, because it's, I, I, I think we're different. Pre Brexit, um, Northern Ireland, you, you know, was part of the whole negotiation. Okay, and and 
it was used for leverage by the EU in many ways. I think now that Brexit's done, I think the negotiating position is now very different. And I'm hoping it can be a practical one. And I'm hoping that any signs of the sectarian kind of tensions rising will, will be the catalyst that makes these politicians um, do the right thing. Um, it just often takes a lot longer than you would like. That's the problem for politicians to do the right thing, I mean. So, yeah, watch this space. But it's, it's an issue, definitely. Great. Well, look, hopefully that does get resolved soon. Um, but look, let's just wrap this up and very briefly summarizing some of the main things for next week. Um, we'll have the next podcast coming same time on Friday next week. But bear in mind, it is the Lunar New Year holidays observed across much of the Far East. So those markets are going to be closed predominantly for most of next week. You've also got US President's Day on Monday. So actually, it's probably going to be a pretty slow start to the week on Monday, Tuesday. Calendar-wise, not a great deal of major kind of economic data events happening. Kind of starts to pick up pace by Wednesday, UK CPI, US retail sales, FOMC minutes. And then Thursday, Eurozone CPI and bookending the week, you'll get the, um, the UK retail sales report, I believe, and yep. the Eurozone manufacturing and service PMI flash data as well, which definitely and has been meaningful of late. So yeah, a couple of things definitely to get your teeth into for next week. But Piers, always a pleasure. Thanks, Ant. And uh, catch you next week. Enjoy the weekend. See you guys. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volur XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com.
Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you.